Hey, David Nagel here. I'm not sure if you've ever heard the story, but in 1993, it was the year that I attended my very first personal development seminar, and I can't even believe that was over 30 years ago. 3,000 people seeking personal freedom, including me, filled into a convention space, hoping that something would happen to give us a breakthrough that we had been looking for. It was a Tony Robbins seminar, and I can honestly say that attending that seminar was one of the biggest turning points in my life. Something fantastic happened while I was there. I began to see my purpose. Who would have thought that an ex-McDonald's employee, an uneducated forklift driver, would attend a seminar that would change the trajectory of his life forever? Well, it wasn't me. And yet, here I am, a multi-million dollar business owner against all odds. And that's why I want to invite you to join me virtually and live from the comfort of your own home or office to make 2024 your best year ever. I want to help you get the breakthrough that you're looking for. On June 26th through the 28th, I'm going to take you on a three-day journey to uncover the key belief that's keeping you from achieving the success that you desire and what you can do about it right now. The hidden messages in your secret thoughts and what they're trying to tell you. How to take your power back from fear, worry, and doubt so that you can make solid, confident decisions. How to set a goal and then reverse engineer its achievement. Right now, we're offering some really great cash back bonuses on our lowest ticket price, but the price will increase very soon. Go to lifeisnowinc.com forward slash summit for all the details and to secure your spot. I'm offering you a defining moment, just like I had all those years ago. Will you take it? Okay, now on to this episode of the Successful Mind Podcast. Successful people learn how to make their minds work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. All right, hey everybody, David Nagel here on the Successful Mind Podcast. Welcome, Stephanie Stuckey. This is, this is, you know, this is a dream I had as a kid that I didn't know that I had. So <laughs> I, I noticed you on, uh, on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me because I was born in 66. So we did road yeah. trips all across the country and we couldn't wait as kids to stop at Stuckey's, right, for the pecan roll. And I love the little trinket things. Like, I know a little further out west, um, they used to have they used to have this little pocket Indian knife, uh, like just a mm-hmm. little pocket little pocket knife. And we yeah. we couldn't wait to see what was what was different. You know, which every one that you would you would go to, it was like the it was like the big thing. Let's stop at Stuckey's. Let's yeah. stop at the next yeah, one. Yeah, back when you would say cowboys and Indians, now it's uh, Native American souvenirs. But right. yes, all that. In fact, for the YouTube, I know part of this is videotaped. My mug today is the drinking bird mug. Do you remember that 
little no, toy? I, no, I don't. Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yes, I do. Yep, the thing. It bobbed Absolutely. and yep, we had one. Drank water. Yep. Yeah. Love those. Absolutely. Um, so I thought I would reach out. I'm there. I'm we've been doing a podcast, we did a business for 25 years. We've been doing a podcast for since 2017. And mostly it was just teaching, but I've been getting into more and more of talking to people, not just successful people, but people that are kind of following their passion in life. Cause that's what I did. And I'm really interested in, in those stories. So when I saw you and I was watching, I was reading your stuff for a while, I had no idea that you were trying to bring Stuckey's back to the grandness that it that it once was. And of course, I really didn't know the history of the company. So I started doing a little bit of a dive. And then I reached out and you were really generous about being on the podcast. So I was wondering, could you just give us give us a story like, just tell everybody where Stuckey started? And, and what what is the what is the story of what had happened up to when you when you got it? Sure. Stuckey's was founded by my grandfather in 1937 during the Great Depression as a roadside pecan stand in Eastman, Georgia. And he grew it from that to at its peak. There were almost 370 stores nationwide and every along every major highway. We were really synonymous with the road trip. We were the first national roadside retail chain. Before there was TA, Love's, Racetrack, Wawa, or Bucky's, yeah. there was Stuckey's. We we were the first out there on the interstate. And at our peak, we also had a candy plant, a distribution center, a sign painting company. There were 4,000 Stuckey's billboards all over the country. And my hoodie today is a throwback to that. It's one of those early billboard designs that I'm wearing. But he sold the company and it was out of our family hands for over 50 years and oh, really? decades of decline with outside management, frankly. Sometimes it works when you sell your business to another company and there's a merger and sometimes you totally lose the magic and that's what happened to us. So it got to the point where there were only 12 of those original freestanding stucky stores left four years ago, and the company was six figures in the red. And I got an unexpected call one day to buy the company. It was for sale. So that's that's sort of the journey. And I can talk more about what happened from that point on, but that's the past of the brand. Okay, so a couple of questions. Do you, do you know what your grandfather's passion was for expanding it the way that he did? Because that was something, I mean, that was revolutionary back then. Nobody else was doing that. Well, I I think I do. He died when I, I had just turned 12. He died a week after my 12th birthday. And I knew him as my grandfather. He sold the company a year before I was born. So even though I knew the stores, of course, and grew up stopping at them, I'm we're the same age, by the way. So we okay. rode a trip just like you did. And we pulled over like every other family. I just had an emotional connection to the brand because obviously it was my grandfather's company. At one point, it wasn't anymore. So I have tried to piece together from talking to people and reading his papers what, what his vision was. But I do know what he really genuinely cared about. And I think this is talked about a lot, maybe to the point that it's been diluted, but the experience he truly cared about people, whether it was an employee or a customer or a vendor. 
he wanted anyone who came in contact with our brand to feel like we had this welcoming, friendly brand that made people feel good. And we were this oasis on the side of the road where you might have this monotony of driving for hours without seeing anything, especially yeah. when we first started the the interstate was pretty pretty empty. There there were 20 places that would crowd an intersection. And so we were it on the exits when when we were first founded. And he wanted to make sure that this was a really unique, wonderful experience. And a great example of that is the fact that even during the era of the racial segregation, Stuckey's was never whites only. We always opened our doors to any traveler on the road. And so that that spirit is just indicative of how we were this place that made people feel like you belong. So yeah. I think that's what he really cared about. And of course, like many entrepreneurs of that era, I think he really enjoyed making money. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> he was an entrepreneur and he wanted to make money and he liked being wealthy and he shared that wealth. He was very generous and very charitable. Yeah, well, you know, that that is a uh, a belief and a value that seems to go along with really successful people, especially when they have such a loyalty brand um, out in the marketplace. I remember we used to do three road trips from Chicago. I was born and raised in Chicago. And my my uh, around 74, I think it was, my grandparents started to think about moving to Arizona. And so we would do about three trips, car trips a year out to Arizona. And I, we would, it was like three, three, two or three cars. So it'd be my mom, me and my brother, my grandmother, my grandfather. And I would ride with my grandmother a lot. She was always like the lead, the lead car going out there. And we used to do, we used to do, we used to get something from the Chicago Motor Club called a triptych, right? I don't know if you remember those, right? So they would outline your route. And yeah. I'd be like, Grandma, can we stop at this place? To, and she'd be like, no, we're going to stop at Stuckey's. And all the time, that's what it was. And it, it was, and the reason was it was clean. They had good food. She loved the uh, uh, different things that they that, that, that they had there. They had clean restrooms, right? Yep, absolutely. The, the and your grandmother started made it, making those, right? Is it, do I have that right? Yes, that's her. That's her recipe, and it took her quite a while to perfect it. And she would throw out the failed batches to the the hogs. They lived on a farm, so we used to joke that we had the sweetest hogs in town, and they made really delicious barbecue. Well, it was. Uh, I mean, and and when I met my wife, who's now my ex-wife. They did the same thing. Like, so when we would travel, like if we could find one that was still around, she loved the pecan rolls. All my friends and family have the same stories about stopping there as kids. So the nostalgia around it was was really cool. What what made you buy it? Like what what happened when you were when you were told that it was for sale? And it sounded like was that something you were planning for or was that like a life changing? Oh, no. Oh, no, I. I had a full career. I was in my early 50s when I got the offer and I had my my life set pretty much. I I'm an attorney and I'd spent 12 years as a state legislator and I had practiced law for many many years and the last 
30 plus years of my career were really focused on environmental advocacy from serving in the legislature to I left I left being in the state house to run an environmental nonprofit law firm. And then I got an offer to be head of sustainability for the city of Atlanta. And I thoroughly love that job. And then I was teaching at the University of Georgia School of Law as an adjunct professor. Again, environmental law. (laughs) So that was my career. And I didn't have a business background. I, I still don't other than, you know, now I'm, I dove into the deep end of the pool and running a family business. But I, that was not, that was not in the cards for me. But uh, when an opportunity like this comes along, you grab it. I mean, how often does a family have a brand and you lose it? That, that actually happens a lot. A lot of, a lot of third generation businesses don't survive. They they get sold or they go bankrupt or whatever, but they don't yeah. make it beyond the third generation. and. So that's not uncommon, but what happened that's unique to us is that we got our brand back. I mean, that's, that's just that's just an amazing opportunity. And why I did it, it's really simple. I loved my grandfather and his legacy was rapidly becoming these dilapidated, sad looking stores on the side of the road. Uh, many of his stores, well, they were well built. That's the good news because they're still standing, but they're they're now other businesses like porn shops and trucker bars. And that's not the legacy that no. my grandfather wanted to leave. So I I invested my life savings. I nobody would loan me money for a has-been brand that was yeah. in debt. I I couldn't get financing for this. So I guess it was an advantage that maybe it was later in my life <laughs> that I saved up, I'd saved up money. Yeah. So this this better work. There's no plan B for me. This is this is the plan now. <laughs> Stucky's better better be very successful. <laughs> how's it? How is how is it going? It's going great, but it's a journey. I I mean, comebacks do not happen overnight. It's not like a movie where there may be a one two punch, like you see in Rocky, and then he's on top of the world and he's suddenly, you know, on on and headlines everywhere. No, it it. It it takes time. What what I look at is the trend. Our sales are trending positively. Uh, what we had to do to really turn the company around because what we were doing wasn't working is I had to I had to make a change and pivot. And we are focused now on making pecan snacks and candies. I don't have the financing or the resources, and we don't have the stores uh, to run a national roadside retail chain like my grandfather had. And those 12 stores that the original stores are still standing, we don't own them. They pay us a licensing fee, but it was not enough revenue to really turn things around. So what we're doing is we bought a manufacturing facility. I got two business partners who are awesome. We've built an amazing team. And it's through the power of the partnerships and the teamwork that we now have a really great business focused on pecans, snacks, and candies. And our sales have grown 10 million in the past 36 months. So it's going great. And we just finished strategic planning and we have really super ambitious lofty sales goals that are achievable for the coming year. So I think we're going to hit our goals. And I think in a few years, our goal is to be the go-to snack brand for pecans in the country. I think we're going to make it. It sounds like you're going to make it. That's, that's really 
that's really incredible. What's the what has the learning curve been like for you? Because you said you weren't you weren't really into business. You were an attorney, environmental yeah. activist. What what's that 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 curve been like? It's been a lot of work. I've spent a lot of evenings teaching myself how to read a financial statement, how to understand manufacturing, food manufacturing, how to understand supply chain logistics. We own a distribution center. That's part of our operations. And so I had to have a at least a, a grasp of the basic concepts so I can be knowledgeable in our meetings. But I think the most important skill that I have is the ability to build a team and surround myself with really super smart people because this is not me. It's, it's the team. Yeah. And I, I think any leader and I really started reading up and analyzing business leaders and especially comeback brands, people who've made a, a pivot and a turnaround because I knew that's what we had to do. And I've seen so many different leadership styles and different personalities and different ways of approaching, but there's sort of fundamental core consistencies that you see. And I think the number one thing that I've seen in every leader I've admired who's been successful is their ability to build a team and recognize what their weaknesses are and then how you complement them. And not only complementing with someone who's got the skills that you lack, but the emotional sort of those soft skills that yeah. people talk about a lot, but like actually executing is is hard sometimes because it takes this honest assessment of what you're not good at and knowing that you're going to have to put somebody else in and you're going to have to give up that power. But if you're doing it right, it's not giving up power, it's sharing it and it's strengthening how you're, you're going to move forward. That's fantastic. What, um, Oh, I just wanted to make mention of this before I forget. I pre-ordered your book. When does that come out? Thank you. Yeah. April 2nd. April 2nd, right? And yeah. would you tell everybody what it's called? It's called Unstuck Rebirth of an American Icon. And it is about my grandfather's story and my story. The genesis of the book is that when I bought the company, Really, the only assets I had were, uh, it was a warehouse, rented warehouse at the time, filled with dusty inventory <laughs> and a trademark. And then the third thing that I didn't know about till after the purchase went through was my mom pulled me aside and said that she had cases and cases of my grandfather's archives. She had all of his old books and letters, company newsletters candy boxes. I mean, it was just amazing. It was a treasure trove. It was like opening up a time capsule. It's hilarious because, you know, my mom is not as, well, she's stucky by marriage. Like it wasn't her father. It was her gotcha. father-in-law, but she was, she was close to my grandfather and she had his papers and she's a saver and she is really organized. So she kept those papers. Thank God, because his former candy plant and his former office, it's complete mess. It broke my heart when I walked through there. There's nothing worth saving and salvaging. All his old files, everything just destroyed that that were in that candy plant. So were it not for my mother for saving those papers, I wouldn't have that. So I spent my nights after I bought the company reading through all his papers. And I met a man I didn't know before. I met my my grandfather, the businessman. I knew him as my grandfather, who I call Big Daddy. I knew him as a man who gave hugs and candy to me every time I saw him. <laughs> but he 
he didn't dispense business advice. He, he was my grandfather. So I pieced together his story and I just started writing it all down and I started sharing it in long form content on social media. And I had so many people reach out to me saying, well, you ought to write a book. And I think everybody has a book in them, right? And so many people have come up to me and said, oh, I, I want to write a book too. So I think we all have it in us. And I just kept thinking, okay, maybe I, maybe I should write a book. And one day a publisher approached me and said, I want to publish your book. And so I got an agent, I vetted it, I pitched it to different publishers and I got several offers. And the great thing is I went back, it was the original guy who approached me, who I went with, Ben Bella Publishers. They've been great out of Nashville and they distribute to Penguin. So it'll be national distribution. And the book is my grandfather's story based on my memories and the papers and then alternating chapters with my story, almost parallel showing how he built the company and then how I rebuilt it in real time, modern time, using his lessons. Yeah. I hope it's interesting. There's a whole chapter on the road trip. There's a there's a whole chapter on race relations in the South. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, so I I put it all in there, and it's I'm just putting it out there, and I have no idea how it's going to go. (laughs) Well, I'm going to try to help you sell it. I'm going to I'm going to talk about it. Maybe we'll even have you back on after it comes out, and I get a chance to read it. Sounds like something that could become a movie. You know. Right? Like, Wouldn't that be fun? Absolutely. I did retain the film rights. So in my nice. contract, I put on my I lawyer would love hat. I to see that as a movie. That would be I so kept the film cool. rights. Yeah, because I think when I was when I would when I heard about your book, I went on and I pre-ordered it on Amazon and I was thinking to myself, the founder flashed through my mind, the movie The Founder about McDonald's yes. with Ray Kroc. And I thought I love that movie. Me book, too. Which is very, very different, by the way. And Ray Kroc apparently had some issues. I, yeah, I'm not sure. He, he, did. he didn't live to, to the, the movie, but I know McDonald's Corporation had some issues because they, I think they portrayed yeah. more of a conflict there between the McDonald's brothers and Ray Kroc than maybe actually was. But it's still yeah. a great book and a great movie. There's a, there is a book that Ray Kroc wrote himself that kind of contradicts some of the things in the movies. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was referencing, okay. grinding it out. It's the founder is based loosely on grinding it out. And there are definitely when you when you see the movie, if you just read the book, I, I reread the book and then resaw the movie after I bought Stuckey's and or rewatched the movie. And it was pretty obvious some of the differences. Yeah, I mean, it's such a landmark Americana thing for people that lived through those years. You know, it was part of part of people's memories of their childhood, of their life. You know, I just, it's just, it's so, so amazing to me. I wanted to ask you, do you know why he sold it? I have a pretty good idea talking to my father, especially. I think there's two big reasons. The first is he really didn't have someone to hand it over to. He had two children, my aunt, who had zero interest in the business. And back then, and this was in 1964, they're really, you know, there weren't a lot of women in corporate America. And frankly, they're still on enough. Yeah. <laughs> but that was one reason. I don't think he really uh, had someone to hand it down to. And then there's my father. But my father was, uh, he and my father had somewhat of a contentious relationship. I do my best to handle that in the book. But they, 
they had very different ideas. And my father did try to get involved with the business and and was for some years, but then decided to go his own way and ran for Congress and got elected. So my dad was running for Congress when my grandfather sold the company. So my, my grand, my dad had kind of staked out his own career and said, this is what I'm going to do. And it's not going to be running sucky. So without an heir, and then uh, he had an opportunity to sell and he made a lot of money. So that's the second reason he made a lot of money. And I think that era, especially, and you look at uh, founders like Colonel Sanders, Harlan Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken. He sold Howard Johnson's with the hotel chain. He sold Holiday Inn, Kimmins Wilson. He sold. So a lot of these entrepreneurs of that Great Depression, and they grew up so poor, they had an opportunity. They built something amazing, but then they had an opportunity to make more money than they had ever imagined and then retire, be happy and content and enjoy life. And he retired in his, he sold the company when he was in his early 60s. So he traveled the world with my grandmother and enjoyed life. Did he own all of those stores himself or were, or were they franchise? Not. They were franchises? It, it was a franchise, basically. It, and if you study uh, franchise operations, then multi, like chain business, uh, especially I was, I've been studying the food space to, to the first year, especially when I was trying to figure out how I was going to revive Stucky. So I was looking at different models. And I think the model my grandfather had is most akin to Chick-fil-A. Which is interesting because he did know Truett Cathy, the founder. There is another Georgia-based brand, and Chick-fil-A was coming along at the same time. It was later, but really around the same time. So they knew one another. And so my grandfather's model was he had husband and wife teams who owned and operated the stores, and they lived in the back of the stores. But he had – the corporation had – a lot of own, uh, control over how the company was ran. Run. Uh, they did not have like today in the convenience store space. You're going to see a lot of different uh, distributors, or you may see one distributor, but but there's outside vendors that are bringing the product in. And my grandfather controlled all of the product that went on the shelves. And in fact, he manufactured in house. You know, all the food product with very rare exception. We never made taffy. We didn't have a taffy maker, but okay. most of the candy you would see in the candy snack, well, not most, all the pecan snacks and candies he made. And then all the souvenirs and stuff he sourced. So he had a lot of control and he, uh, he ran all the books, all the accounting went to him. Uh, and very frequently, in fact, most of the stores got started with him fronting the money to the couples. And so really? he would front, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get this number wrong, but say it was 15,000 to them to, to, to start with the store and he would build the store. He would incur all those costs and then they would pay him back over time through the sales of the store. So he would get a percentage to pay back that initial investment. So you really had a strong sense of ownership. It wasn't your typical franchise operation. But he did get a percentage of sales, which is typical for franchise. And yeah. then he negotiated separately a deal with Texaco that at the time was the exclusive provider of gas for Stuckey's. And he got personally a percentage of every gallon sold. Wow. And, and that that really is what made him a millionaire was gas. And the interesting thing, the more I look at that model. And even though 
we're not we're not owning we don't own and operate gas stations. I I do follow that space a lot because we sell to that channel. That is our biggest channel is the C store space that sells gas. And a lot of those C stores that the bulk of their revenue is going to be gas, diesel yeah. especially. So we yeah. love truckers. Wow, I didn't know that. That that's yeah. That's yeah. Fantastic. So a lot of them yeah. really they're in the gas business. <laughs> Yeah, they're in the gas business. That's fantastic, yeah. right? So, so like McDonald's being in the real estate business, right? Like McDonald's said, we're in the real estate business. That's fascinating. What the customer sees or the customer relates with the brand isn't necessarily what the profit model is. Yeah, yeah. I remember hearing a story. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of Earl Nightingale, um, but he was kind of like the the founder of the personal development movement started in the fifties. He had a radio show that won uh what was it? What was it called? Our changing world. I think it was out of Chicago. Anyway, he was huge across the United States on the radio and he had a really positive message and a pro business message, pro success, that type of thing. And he told he used to tell a story about the first gas station that started selling more than gas itself, about the guy who started going, there's people that are coming in here and they have money in their pocket. And there's all different kinds of things that they could buy and they would sell fishing licenses and it, what like they sold guns, they sold candy, they sold food, like all these different. Well, that's what Stuckey's did. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> My grandfather sold fishing licenses for his stores that were that were near fishing holes or the Gulf yeah. coast, the Gulf coast of Florida. If you pulled over to Stuckey's, you would get fishing license and bait. Yeah. So I, what was the, I'm interested in that. I mean, I, I lay claim and, and I'm, this is just me saying it, but I've searched it repeatedly and I've been saying it for three years and no one's corrected me. We were the first national roadside retail chain, but I'm not sure who was the first gas station that sold more than, gas because that that know. would have predated yeah. my grandfather in 1937 if Probably i remember he didn't, know, he didn't say what the name of the gas station was that did that mm -hmm. he just told the story um and my understanding was that it went way back it might have even been well it probably was in the in the 20s or the 30s someplace in there um i don't even remember if he said what city that it was in but yeah i would think that you're absolutely correct about being the first roadside chain we drove all over the united states i don't remember seeing another chain you yeah. know back then you know it, it that's what it was it was it was stuckies i mean there were other things to do you know you had the rattlesnakes five miles ahead sign you know that you would yeah you would see in south of the border wiki Wachi. right right the thing yeah corn palace wall drug <laughs> yeah. yeah been to all of them by the way i am a it is in my blood. I love roadside Americana. Yeah. It's, it's not just, it's not just the brand. Like I really, truly love to road trip. So here's the challenge we have. Okay. You and I have been waxing nostalgic about taking road trips in the sixties and seventies, but there are millions and millions of Americans who did not road trip in the sixties and seventies or even the eighties. I, I think Stuckey's could stretch as far back as, you know, or as far as the early 80s, but there's lots of, lots of new consumers out there that we have to reach, that we have to connect with our brand that aren't going to have that shared memory of those connections of, of taking those road trips. So 
that's part of the challenge as we move forward is what we're calling now nostalgia. And that's creating new memories, new warm associations, new stories, new shareable moments associated with our brand. So we can start getting that next generation of consumer who's going to think our brand is great. Do you have an app? Not yet. So it's in the the plan. Is it? Yeah. So this morning I was thinking, I was like, here's the challenge with the the app, okay, okay, is that we don't own or operate any stores. So a lot of times the apps will be like, okay, well, where can we find your store? So for right. the app, it would have to be a product locator guide. So for example, Hobby Lobby sells our product, Wawa in Florida, Travel Centers of America, Pilot and Select Locations. So how do we how do we make sure that there's an app that's gonna get that's affordable? So in order to you've got to have the data that syncs with the product locator guide that is going to to capture all of the chain stores that carry our product. And yeah. we're working through that. And so if anybody out there has an affordable solution, but the solution is going to be fairly pricey from the early estimates we've gotten, it might be a two to three year plan for us. It's definitely in the works. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I didn't think about that. I didn't realize that you didn't own the stores. Um, and your plan's not really to build more stores, right? It's just distribution now, itself. I love the stores. You will not find a stronger advocate for the stucky store concept than me, but I'm also a realist. And I know what we can do. And I know what I think we can truly be the best at in the world and that really can advance our brand. And that's making the most delicious pecan snacks and candies you'll find anywhere. Having said that, I've not given up hope to at least one day have a handful. I mean, we're talking three, maybe stucky stores that would be true destination locations that would celebrate the road trip, that would be a nod to our past, but really focused on the future and the forward motion of the company. Uh, We do have one store that we own and operate that's connected to our candy plant in Renz, Georgia. So if you pull over in Renz, you can see that store but it's not an original stuckies that you would think of with the curved roof and the okay the teal color it's it's not that we don't sell gas it it's connected it's a retail store connected to the candy plant and the the merchandise is almost exclusively the candies and snacks that are made there and it's it's a full suite of product line so that's where you're going to find more stuckies treats and more flavors and more varieties than you will see anywhere else. We've got a new flavor out. It's going to hit that store the first because it's it's literally you can open a door in the retail shop and you'll see the manufacturing. Like yeah. the production plant is right there. So it's it's connected to the plant. So are we do there, want that one. Yeah, that's cool. Are there any what about those non I don't know a lot about this. I've only heard about it, but back when we were kids the 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 real interstate hadn't made it across to California yet. Part of it was old sixty six. If yeah. you remember, right? Is there? Sure. But aren't there places on old sixty six where they have kind of revived it in a, in a, from a nostalgia perspective? Oh sure, lots. Yeah, there. I mean, I I, I love Route sixty six, and I've gone to a couple of Route sixty six festivals. I also I I speak a lot in public, and I've been the keynote at two Route 66 conferences in the past couple of years. And 
I like to drive the route when I'm going to those conferences and really yeah. be part of the whole experience. And there are there are a lot of places. Uh, I'll, I'll give a shout out to a couple that sell our product. There's one called TP Curios in Tucuncari, New Mexico, that is just this beautiful old vintage gas station that's been renovated. It doesn't sell gas anymore. And it is shaped like a giant TP. And they just have wonderful kitschy souvenirs and they sell pecan log rolls and they actually have painted on the side. We sell Stucky's pecan log rolls. So oh, nice. love that place. And then uh, Buck Adams, Atomic Curios in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And if you know what a muffler man is, it's one of those giant fiberglass statues and they yeah. used to hold auto parts, hence the name muffler man. But then entrepreneurs, during the heyday of the road trip would take those old car parts and they'd put a hot dog in them, for example. Yep. So if you go to Atlanta, Illinois, you'll see a hot dog stand where it's a former muffler man holding a hot dog. Uh, so they have a muffler man at Buck Adams, Atomic Curios and ton of traffic there. They've got a great Facebook page and they sell Stucky's products. So a lot of those little places have been restored, have been saved and they're vibrant and people are rediscovering them. Uh, 2026 will be the 100th anniversary of Route 66. So I think there'll be a lot of traffic that year, especially. That's cool to know, 2026. So and there's a lot of highway associations out there. I'll just give a shout out, like the Lincoln yeah. Highway and the Jefferson Highway. I'm actually yeah. speaking to a Jefferson Highway conference in a couple of months. Yeah, that's, that's true. That Lincoln Highway, people love that thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. that was the first national highway. That was the first interstate that went across the country was the Lincoln Highway. It's pretty neat. So is so the so is the idea. So the idea is to create a new experience for young people with the product that you have with the product. across the country. Sure. Products can create an emotion just like. Oh. <laughs> Especially a physical location. I mean, all right, so I am going to date myself on this one, but I think of the Calgon, take me away, the yeah. bubble bath. You know, it's just a bubble bath, right? Right. But they had this ad that I loved, and it was a mom who's really busy, and, like, her kids are screaming at her, Mom, I want this and that, and blah, 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 and then the husband's yelling, and, you know, her life is mayhem, and the phone's ringing, and she just goes in the bathroom and locks the door, and she says, Calgon, take me away, and she gets in the bathtub with the with the bubbles and like then suddenly the background becomes this beach and some exotic location and it's bubble bath right 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 it's experience people drink Hervé Cuervo and they suddenly have this notion of they're on a beach somewhere doing something really fun and it just it takes you to a different place and it, it is an experience but it's a product right yeah we can do that sure. too we can, we can, we, so personifying the brand, but our pecan snacks are really rooted in roadside Americana. And so maybe we don't have those physical stores, but what that road trip represents is still an inherent part of our brand. We represent a brand that is all about Americana, getting in a car and exploring. So you can eat a pecan log roll and just be in your house. 
or running errands in your car, which is still a road trip, by the way. But you can still have that sense of exploration and fun and that unique American sense of independence. Uh, that's what we yeah. are. We're, we're American brand. All of our products, all of our ingredients are sourced in America, in this country and made in America. And so we think that's something special. I agree. I totally think it's something special. And I love those things that, you know, the the idea of what it is that you're doing to create those memories and people, I really think that that's special. It's it's especially yeah. especially today when everything is like it's in your life for two seconds and then it's out and there's nothing that really creates an experience for people like when we were kids, like everything was an experience back then. And yeah. uh, it's not like that today. So yeah, I think that's just totally fantastic. Yeah, and I like I like that we have a brand that has sticking power and that we have a brand that's messy. We've, we've had some really rough times, but we're still here. We've got a lot of grit and we've got a lot of fortitude and spunk. And here we are, 87 years later, we are somehow still around. Yep, yep, absolutely. That's what we're celebrating. So you buy a pecan log roll, you are celebrating the comeback. You are saying, yeah, there's something valuable about a brand that somehow has made it and survived the test of time. Absolutely. You do As I hold up a pecan log roll. Yeah, no, great, sell it. I'm going to be snacking <laughs> on this later. I actually do eat our log rolls, and we're looking at new flavors, so... We've been talking this morning, which gets me really energized about maybe mixing up the flavors and doing like, I don't know, a hazelnut nougat or what about a peanut butter and jelly pecan log roll? And yeah. we had fun. We really kind of went off on a tangent for a while. They're coconut log rolls, red velvet cake log rolls. So <laughs> stay tuned cool. on those. We, we're talking with food scientists and product developers. And so you can have all the ideas in the world, but if you can't, execute it's just an idea so we're we're figuring out which which of these ideas are actually feasible with our food scientist so okay. hang on yeah and, and the 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 rapid regrowth that you've brought is just astounding that is so fantastic what a thank you a great incentive it's, teamwork. it's all teamwork yeah for sure you travel a lot yeah i see you on i Twitter. do yeah yeah it's, is that for fun? Is that business? Is this both? Well, I guess it's it's business, absolutely. But yeah, well, business. I'm doing this for suckies, but I'm passionate about reviving this brand. And you said at the beginning, you initially started interviewing successful people, and then you transitioned to also including people who are passionate about what they do. Well, for yes. me, it's both. You know, I think we've been successful. We. We are continuing in that trajectory of success, but I'm also super passionate about this. And so I'm traveling a lot and a lot of the travel is giving speeches, which is not something I had started out as part <laughs> of the business plan, but it just happened gradually. People would ask me to speak and then there'd be somebody in the audience who would refer me and say, oh, well, you'd be a great keynote speaker for my conference. And then you'd be a great speaker. So it just kept, it, it just kept snowballing. And, and then they'd offer me honorariums. And so I get, I get paid and the nice. funds from my speaking gigs go towards what we call the culture club 
at Stuckey's. So it funds employee engagement activities for the company. So we do a monthly lunch now, which is a really nice meal with all of our employees. We're at 75 employees and we celebrate achievements and we have a time for fellowship and we tell them, you know, some of the ideas of what we want to do with the company and what's coming up. And then we get their engagement and their feedback. And so the morale at the company has improved considerably because I've got this little honorarium fund now, which is, that's been super unexpected in a, a in a really positive way. So I'm giving a lot of speeches. And then the, the other thing I do a lot is going to trade show. So a big portion of our business is B2B, you know, business to business. We sell to other retailers. It's not so much direct to consumer. Although okay. we do have a website, stuckies.com, go visit it today. And we have that distribution center that fills orders on site. But we we do a lot of business through third-party retailers, not just chains, but specialty mom and pop stores all over the country that we can we can deliver direct to you. And we have a wholesale program. And then we do a fundraising program and we do a corporate gift program. Wow. So all of that, in fact, I just got information. I'm going to sign up for a couple of trade shows for fundraising where we're going to uh, a Future Farmers of America conference and set up a trade show booth and pitch to ag programs all over the state to be part of our con fundraising program. So it's a lot of sales. And then whenever I go anywhere for a speech, I'm going to be visiting our stores. So by our stores, I don't mean necessarily those branded Stucky stores because there's not many of them. I mean, I'll be going to south of the border that sells Stucky's products. I'll be pulling over at, uh, I'm trying to think of some, one of our retailers that I, I've i been to recently, but I, you know, I will just go to, yeah. I'll pull over at the, Goats on a roof in North Georgia. All right, I remembered one. <laughs> Do you so have a your local market? You? Your local striplings. Striplings is a small chain in Georgia. They got four locations, and I'll stop at one of their locations. So, whenever I I'm traveling, I'm visiting stores, and then I'm trying to open new accounts. So I'll just walk into a store, and I carry samples with me everywhere I go, and I'll say, "You would be a perfect vendor for Stuckies, and we can help your sales and." Have a have a pecan snack. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Do you do you have a lot of people approach you when they find out who you are about what it meant to them as a kid? A All the time. Stories, Every really single day. Me? That has been amazing. I have so many people come up to me and share their stucky stories. And now I have people recognize me. Not a lot. I mean, I'm not like this huge celebrity, but I'd say once a week. I'll be out somewhere and someone will come up to me and say, Hey, aren't you that pecan log roll lady? <laughs> <laughs> and then they'll proceed to tell me their sucky story. So I love it. Wow. That's fantastic. That's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm doing this to, to say you can do it. It's possible. You, you can revive a brand that everyone thought was dead and you can make it something new and different and successful or, and it doesn't have to be a family brand. You can just, be in a rut in business or be in a rut in your personal life and you can figure out a way to turn things around. And that's what, that's what I'm doing. And that's what our team is doing every single day. We're showing others, you can do it. You can be part of it by buying our product and then go do your own journey and share it with us. Cause I want to hear your story. 
Yeah. And you can see the passion that you have for it. I mean, it just totally comes through, which is really yeah. cool. That's yeah. one of the I'm reasons. waiting for younger people to come up and recognize me. I will have to be honest that with very rare exception, the other day, a woman who looked to be in her um, late 20s came up and said, I recognize you from LinkedIn and I love what you're doing. And I just... I just gave her this huge hug. I'm like, somebody who's younger knows our brand. Thank you. That's great. I took a photo with her. I sent it to my team, our team. And I'm like, look, y'all. <laughs> you got a younger fan. Yeah. Well, it's it's one of those things all of a sudden yeah. it just explodes and then you're everywhere, you know, which is probably exactly what will happen. I'm hoping, but you know what? It's it's happening, but it's not sudden. It's trend. It's a trend. It's trend. It's, it's a yeah. it's a mush. It's a day in, day out. It's a slog. Put the work in. It's a slog. Yeah. yeah. It's like dieting, right? Like or working out. You you don't go to the gym and work out for eight hours and go, all right, I'm gonna be totally in shape. No, <laughs> you spread those you, you spread that out over six months before you start seeing results. But you right. see results. You just have yeah. to really be patient. For sure. For sure. Um, it was, I was going to ask you, the, the, is, the, is there anything else that you sell at these stores besides the pecan rolls and the candy? Or is that just going to be the niche that you're staying in? Well, we have a full line of pecan snacks okay, that are yeah, healthy. Yeah, okay. Cool. Some are healthier than others. They're roasted in... Uh, the, we have a kettle glaze that's roasted and coated in a, a sugar glaze. So I would not, I would not stand in front of you and say, oh, that's super healthy. <laughs> but I will say that pecans are among the healthiest nuts and full of the good kinds of fat and antioxidants and magnesium and all sorts of good stuff. And that, you know, there's lots of scientific studies out there that prove that. So we do sell the raw nuts. We sell the, the roasted and salted are going to be healthy. We sell a variety of different types of pecans for baking. So you can get the large and the medium and the midget, which, which is a term. That's what they call it, the midget pieces midget in pecan. the industry. They call it midget pecan. So not trying to disparage people who are tiny, yeah. but yeah. our nuts are tiny if you get the midget ones. And we sell all you know, a lot of different varieties. And so, yeah. We, and we have, uh, I was counting our flavors today. I think it's 16 different flavors of pecans oh. that you can get on our catalog and online. Okay. And we have a new flavor out called Sweet and Salty that is addictive. I and bet. they're really good. Like, it's not just for snacking, you know. Like, I crumbled up the maple pecans the other day and put them on my oatmeal and stirred it up. And uh, it was to die for. And so why put sugar or maple syrup on your oatmeal like you can crunch up the pecans and yeah. they taste great uh my niece put our honey glaze no our honey roasted pecans in her banana bread and said it was really yummy so you can throw it on salads i'm partnering with some chefs working on different ways that we can collaborate on fun things you can do with our products so yeah it is not just the log roll we are more than the log roll the it log roll is the gateway drug to Stuckey's. It's just yes. <laughs> gateway drugs. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. We'll put. Um, would you is would you prefer people go to Amazon to buy the book, or do you or you want them to come to your website? Where would you prefer? It's not for sale yet on the Stuckey's website. 
Okay. Uh, we will. Uh, I'm betting with my team if we want to sell it on the website, or we can just direct people to sites. But I can I can buy it in bulk and sell it on the Stucky's website as well. Okay. Uh, but uh, the Amazon is the one that a lot of people know, but it's also on Bookshop.org, Walmart.org, Target. I'm mean, not Walmart.org. It's Walmart.com. Sorry. Walmart.com, yeah. Target, Barnes and Noble. So pretty and much. They're all, they're, they're all doing a pre-order on that. You can pre-order. It's a pre-order. Yeah. 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 I did mine on Amazon. So that's, but I, I want to put it down in the, uh, in the information. I want to put your website I'll down. I'll send you a link because okay. my publisher has given me a link that, that just gives you all the ways you can buy it. And it's a one-stop shop. Oh, cool. And I think, I can't remember the name of the link. It's like book scan.org or something it's like a it's it's a it's a portal through which you can just yeah go to all that but but amazon is on that one when you follow that link okay cool cool well send it to me and i'll make sure that we get it in there yeah so listen it was really great talking to you it was a pleasure meeting you i absolutely love your story and anything that we Thank could you. Do to help you get the message out let us know i can't wait to get the book and read it I would love to have yep. you on again after after I have do that. Back and maybe uh, maybe you can help me get a, a book gig in Charlotte. Sure. Yeah, we'll do what we can. Yeah, we'll just do a you know an event where I sign the book and give a little talk, and so that'd be fun. Need to start booking those. <laughs> yeah, you'll probably yeah. have a lot of those. Probably have a lot of those. Yeah, you I'm trying. You know, I need to. Uh, I need to be better about them. I'm I'm really not doing anything yet, so I need to start getting those. Yeah. Gigs lined up. Yep. Yeah, get on the podcasts. Yeah, for sure. I'm on a lot of podcasts already, but yes, I need to. Good. Adding it to my list. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, Stephanie, it was great to meet you. Thanks again oh. very much. And uh, we'll be in touch. So have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. If you like what you heard and you want to learn more, go to lifeisnowinc.com. I'll see you next week.